Big Swinging Stocks acknowledges the traditional custodians of Australia's lands, skies and waterways and pays respects to elders past, present and emerging. This podcast is brought to you by SelfWealth and operates under AFSL number 421789 as general advice only. Because we can't take into account your personal objectives or financial situation, you should seek independent professional financial advice before making any investment decision. For more information and our financial disclosure statement, check the show notes. Which generation had it better? Let's talk wealth building. Baby boomers believe they struggled the most to build wealth. Did that surprise you? Because that surprised me. Let's talk wealth building. With crypto, it's cents on the dollar. It's actually about class. We can better our lot. All that intergenerational wealth, it's coming our way. Boomers are more productive, entirely subjective, and mostly manufactured. But I take your point, except it's wrong. So let's rewind a little. I see no hope for the future of our people. When I was young, we were taught to be discreet and respectful of elders. The present youth are exceedingly wise, disrespectful and impatient of restraint. The children now love luxury. They have bad manners, contempt for authority. They show disrespect to their elders. The quotes seem familiar, like they'd appear in a clickbait headline in the mail or from the opinions of Australia's favourite anti-millennial, Bernard Salt and his war on avocados. But both these quotes originate from a battle raging for thousands of years. The first from philosopher Hesiod in the 8th century, and the latter from Socrates. The battle between old and young has been raging for a long time. But perhaps for the first time in the last few centuries, despite our ageing population, our most recent census found that millennials, born between 1984 and 1995, outstrip the population of baby boomers. We'd like to introduce you to a new segment here on Big Swinging Stocks. For months, I've run a special called Controversy Corner on Broke Girl Wealth, and it is one of my favourite spots in the week. Now I'm bringing it to Big Swinging Stocks and combining the power of both communities. Today, we're starting off strong and perhaps a little bit saucy by examining Australia's much maligned tension between people under the age of 40 and those over the age of 65 to come to the ultimate conclusion, which generation had it better and which generation are a bunch of whiny little... Anyway, I'm getting ahead of myself. Given we are lending ourselves to statistics, a touch of science, let's define our problem statement. I see the tension between baby boomers and millennials as entirely subjective and mostly manufactured. The problem is that financially, baby boomers believe they struggled the most to build wealth, and millennials believe that they're also struggling the most to build wealth. But who had it easier? Who has generational bragging rights? As a millennial myself, I recognise I have a vested interest here. So this episode, we're opening the floor to other perspectives. This episode is brought to you by the collective wisdom of broker wealth and self-wealth social communities. By no means a statistically significant sample size, but a sizable one nonetheless. And given that we're lending ourselves to science, here is my hypothesis. The relative ease of debt financing has masked the underlying truth which is that the wealth-building assets of old are more inaccessible for younger generations. To test the statement, we'll look at the cost of living, the ease of getting a mortgage, and the cost of accessing wealth-building assets like stocks and other investments. 
So let's rewind a little. It is 1977. Boomers are in their late teens to early 20s. The average weekly wage in Australia is between $138 and $149 for women and men, respectively. Malcolm Fraser is president, and Dreams by Fleetwood Mac is the number one song on the radio. If you were looking to hear Landslide at home, you'd be paying a lot less today. TVs and cameras have all gotten cheaper, both in comparison to average wages and in real terms since the 1970s. The equivalent TV today, on an average wage of $1,160 a week, would be $4,640. And sure, there are expensive TVs, but you can get a TV for around $300, especially if LD's having a Super Saturday sale. But plenty of other items haven't changed in line with wages. Beer is only about six times more expensive than it was, and a litre of petrol is 46 cents compared to today's $2. But you're all probably saying, Alex, who cares about televisions and beer? I need a roof over my head. Well, if you were in your 20s, in the 70s, was it a jackpot? An average mortgage in 1984 was 37542 it was roughly double the annual salary of $19,000. Today, in Sydney, the average debt-to-income ratio is far more, with some mortgages tipping eight times the annual income thresholds of the owners. To put it into perspective, the annual average salary to meet 1980s levels would need to be $190,000. And it's not. It just inched over 90 grand in December of 2021. But as a lot of people who had to live through the 80s and 90s will attest, a smaller mortgage was accompanied by skyrocketing interest rates. On the 11th of June 1982, the cash rate in Australia was 18.92%. And the average recorded variable rate on a home loan was 15%. This meant that the mortgage repayment on that average mortgage was in the vicinity of $447, assuming a two-person household with both people working and earning the average salary, that was $287 a month left over for everything else besides the mortgage. Did that surprise you? Because that surprised me. I feel like I didn't really appreciate what 15% interest would look like, even on a lower debt. Now, for fairness and comparison's sake, let's run those same figures again today. The average wage is $90,000, and if everything else stays the same in the hypothetical, with a combined income of $180,000 today, if that couple borrowed $800,000, their repayments would be $3,900 a month, but they're earning a combined income of $11,500 per month post-tax. That's enormous discretionary income change. But then again, saving for a deposit for the average home is now taking on average seven years, a huge increase for the boomers. And the likelihood that those two individuals don't have hex debts to be earning $90,000 and above is perhaps low, but it's clear to see that the head start is having an impact. Census data shows that for each generation since the boomers, home ownership is declining. In fact, they were the peak. If we look at 30 to 34-year-olds across generations, in 1971, 64% of people owned homes. By 2016, it was 14% lower at 50%. And it's also worsening at the other end of the spectrum, with home ownership decreasing by 6.6% at retirement, going from 80% of people owning a home 
to only 74% of people. And the only generation that bucks that trend, can you guess? I'll wait. Those born between 1947 and 1951. Boomers had rates of 82% home ownership by retirement. And no wonder a quarter of Australians are millionaires today simply due to the increase in their property's wealth. And that's a honeypot that a lot of boomers have a vested interest in. So I'm going to call this one a win for millennials because while boomers had it tough, interest rates weren't at record highs for very long and you could still get into the market and start building equity in your home relatively easily. So what next? Let's talk wealth building. Well, we already know boomers built a lot of their wealth through property, but they also did it through the stock market. By 2023, younger boomers are retiring entirely self-funded. That means that the value of their stocks and investment, property, etc., is funding their lifestyle and it's not the pension. And that's a huge increase of 21% to 43% from the year 2000. That's a significant level of wealth to be able to support yourself in retirement. So what about millennials? Well, the good news is the government thinks you'll be the same or similar, given that it will be accumulated via super. But with more millennials not having homes or having mortgages into retirement, I have to say, I'm not so sure. I at least want the same standard of living in retirement as I have now. And I'm not so sure that the government's modelling takes into account takeout every Friday night. So there's that. On the other end of the spectrum, I think boomers have us nailed when they say that building wealth has never been easier. Even if property is elusive, I don't think investing is. Entering the stock market used to require knowledge, brokerage, and thousands of dollars. Now, hundreds, if that. With crypto, it's cents on the dollar. Nonetheless, boomers had no such apps. They didn't have low investing minimums. Things were harder. For retail investors back in the day. While some things may be elusive for us, some aspects of our lives are just undeniably easier. What I find interesting though is that the tension between boomers and millennials has never really been about statistics because we can simply choose statistics that bring one generation firmly in the lead. Instead, it has always felt to me about lifestyle and work ethic. In the 1970s, entertainment was a night at the movies or going to a dance. Today, it is escape rooms, clubs, moonlight theatres or bouldering. Life and all its adventures has gotten broader and more expensive. I think millennials might even be checking out of buying a house and redirecting that discretionary income to short-term thrills. Problematically, that kind of thinking is only going to make the situation worse. Because there does feel like a two-speed economy. People who are comfortable today living lives with discretionary income, holidays, nice homes, and those for whom life just seems to be getting harder. It is perhaps the former that boomers obsess over, but the latter is the generation that I'm concerned with. The middle class should be expanding, but it's stagnating. According to the OECD, Australia has a smaller middle class compared to our GDP than other comparable countries. But those statistics don't make a good headline. So the friction between boomers and millennials, especially about wealth and work, just feels a little simplistic because frankly, I don't think millennials are lazy. 
You're looking for an easy scapegoat for the middle class deteriorating. We work more. While the average hours have stayed the same, millennials work longer weeks and have a higher workforce participation, especially for women, likely because it is impossible to raise a family on a single income anymore. While the 37-hour workweek has been in place for decades, less workers are unionised, more are salaried. Working extended hours is commonplace in many industries, and even more so, popular with no overtime. And you might say, boomers were more productive. They went to the moon. Well, technically, they were too young to be much help in getting us to the moon. But I take your point, except it's wrong. Hour per hour, millennials are the most productive generation. In fact, millennials offer 3.5 times bang for your hourly buck in that their productivity levels have risen three times as fast as their pays. And that's a global trend. Pre-1970s, worker pay and productivity rose at similar rates, but since then, net productivity went up almost 60%, while compensation, only 15%. And you might argue that some of that is facilitated by technology, and you'd be right. But it does kind of kick the teeth in the argument that millennials are entitled. And I don't think it is entitlement per se. I kind of think, at least for me, It is a reaction to being told our whole lives that anything is possible, that the world was built for us and that it was going to be easy. I don't think it is easy. I agree it is easier in some ways and certainly easier for some of us than others, but it's also harder and perhaps in a way that we thought previous generations would have resolved by now. We still have a housing crisis And now it's one that's expanded from the lower class to those in the lower middle class and middle class as well. We have a simultaneous rental crisis. Everything is purchasable on credit cards or on payment plans. And I really think that that has masked the underlying truth, which is that debt financing is hiding how much more expensive life is today. But it is not all yakka. Information is more readily accessible than ever before. You can literally TikTok a video about how to invest. And that's important because millennials, you're about to inherit. On average, some of you are set to inherit $500,000. And if you're going to be staring down that kind of money, it's a good idea to get some professional advice. And by that, I mean not on TikTok. Because you can figure out how to best use it, how to best grow it, boomer style. I also think it is easier to move roles. People in professional fields have highly transferable skills. Being a typist in the 70s meant you could type or be a secretary. Today, nurses can go into sales. Lawyers can go into consulting. And according to Tech Talk, anyone can be a product manager. I find the us versus them talk utterly underwhelming. We have this immense amount of intelligence in the general population and we're squabbling about who had it harder. I think that conversation still elicits a reaction because we're showing a fundamental lack of empathy. And I I count myself amongst that deficit because how can you truly understand how hard someone had it? How can you truly put yourself in someone's shoes when the world was a completely different place? So I kind of find the idea of an empirical scientific comparison laughable because times are different. In the 1970s, a mobile phone was a thing of science fiction. Today, science fiction and the likes of going to Mars, having a video call with someone across the world from you, 
they're realities. In fact, they're kind of banal conveniences. But all that aside, whether the Ford Valiant or Focus was your first car, I think that both generations have a lot to learn from one another. For one thing, uh, therapy would be helpful for some of our older folks. But equally, boomers have a lot of wisdom to share as well. As my mother always said to me, save money while you have it. So it is there when you don't. While overwhelmingly, the self-wealth and broker wealth audiences believed that millennials had it the hardest of any generation and that boomers had it the easiest, those results don't surprise me. Because while both audiences skew young and the results may not be scientific, they are indicative of how millennials and Gen Z view their own lot. And we don't seem too impressed. But the counter to that is, well, we're actually kind of set to inherit those boomer riches. All that intergenerational wealth, it's coming our way. In fact, it is said to be the largest intergenerational transfer of wealth in history. Forbes estimates that it will be between 30 to $68 trillion. The problem, though, is that when I asked the Broker Wealth audiences a couple of weeks ago if they were set to inherit, almost 60% said no. Because as I rightly pointed out, elder care, legal fees, siblings, or simply just being in a family with no assets to inherit, not everyone is cashing in on the pie. And that is probably where a lot of the frustration is building. Because it's not about the intergenerational transfer of wealth or the friction between boomers and millennials. It's actually about class. Because whether we like it or not, the comfortability of living in the upper middle class in Australia is a different experience to being paycheck to paycheck and trying to make ends meet every week. There is a burden to that mental load that is indescribable. It probably made a lot of our grandparents and parents that grew up that way the way they are. And we don't like to talk about class in this country because it feels awkward. And it kind of detracts from the bootstrap, anyone can succeed mentality that this country was built on. But for millennials, the dreamscape is kind of looking like a nightmare because not everyone is set to inherit. Not everyone owns over $100,000. Not everyone is ever going to feel financially stable. So I can understand where the friction comes from and why it plays so well in the media. But here's what I want to say to that. We can better our lot. Maybe you won't be a millionaire, but there is so much you can do to save responsibly, invest responsibly and spend responsibly that can put you in a much better position than you were in a year ago. And that is the point. That's all we seek to do here at Self Wealth, encourage you to try and put a foot forward towards an easier, wealthier life. So despite the headlines, I don't think anyone truly wins. Millennials aren't entitled. They're just upset we got lied to about how easy life would be. And I don't think boomers set out to profiteer. I think they just wanted to succeed. That's certainly how my grandparents and parents saw it. They wanted a better future for their children. And for me personally, I think that's a pretty healthy aspiration, albeit one that I'd love to do with a little more care for the environment and mutual social prosperity. So when you see a clickbait article about boomers versus millennials, maybe don't spend 15 minutes arguing in the Facebook comments like I've tended to do. Maybe transfer some money to savings or investing instead. 